Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 7, produced 1 August 2015. Two thousand fourteen was a year of homecoming in Scotland, a call for Scott diaspora from around the world to visit the home of their ancestors, and visit they did. Overseas tourists increased by eleven percent overall, and visitors from North America rose twenty-eight percent to over five hundred thousand. I was one of those. In two thousand fourteen, the world's attention was indeed focused on Scotland, as the home of golf. Scotland hosted the Ryder Cup, and Glasgow hosted the Commonwealth Games. September brought the highly anticipated and hotly debated independence referendum, or IndyRef, and there was the international release of a wee TV drama you may have heard about, called Outlander. In a moment, without the aid of a single standing stone, my guest and I will transport you to the land where the men are kilted, the women are winsome, and the whiskey is neat. Here in Scotland, 2015 is the year of food and drink, a celebration of the country's outstanding natural larder and produce. From artisan cheeses and world-renowned whiskies to succulent seasonal berries and arbroath smokies, there's an abundance of delicious regional flavours round every corner. Discover the landscapes, people and culture that make our food heritage so unique and enjoy a feast of events and festivals throughout the year Come and experience a true taste of Scotland. It's no secret that the release by the Stars Channel of Outlander, the TV adaptation of the literary series by author Diana Gabaldon, has given Scotland its latest shot in the tourism arm. Outlander tours have operated in Scotland for over a decade. After all, the books have been around since June 1991. But since Claire and Jamie landed on our not-so-small-anymore HD TV screens, Various tour operators have reported an increase of 500% in Outlander tours. Visit Scotland reports that the Outlander section of their website enjoyed 175,000 hits in the first 10 months following the show's release. Today, new tour operators and tours abound, as do fan sites, blogs, and launched in September 2013, the Outlander podcast. Joining me under the tartan sky are Ginger and Summer, creators and hosts of the Outlander podcast. The two ladies shy away from talking about themselves, and as I'm still new to the books, the TV series, and their podcast, naturally, that was my first request. Tell me a bit about yourselves and how the Ginger and Summer partnership came to be. And the answer left me, well, gobsmacked. Well, we can kind of answer all of that uh, together, and starting with, we're sisters, so oh. it, was okay. a na- it was a natural partnership because, as I have said 
about other books that Summer introduced me to. This is Ginger. It's all Summer's fault that I like Outlander. Most things are. The podcast is my fault, (laughs) but the books are her fault. So Summer, why don't you start with how you found the book? I'm just asking about you personally. Are you just going to know? Sure. I can say a little bit about that. (laughs) Sure. And? (laughs) I'm having a hard time thinking about how to start. I am someone who has had the good fortune of living, traveling, uh, working, and going to school overseas as part of my various educational uh, programs that I've been part of, my various degree programs. And the first time I went to graduate school, I had a bug in my ear or something that kind of called to me about uh, looking into going to Scotland. And I was able to study there and do a one-year postgraduate degree in Scotland at the University of St. Andrews. And of course, it was my first time there. I'd never been there. I fell in love with it and have loved it even more ever since. But I did find or read the books, um, as Summer will discuss a little bit, um, starting in the late 90s. But that's kind of how my love for continuing to travel to Scotland started. As I've already said, I like travel. I like languages. Uh, Part of my education is also in uh, language and linguistics. So I speak, I say, quite frankly, or quite honestly, I say I speak two and a half languages (laughs) because my French is nowhere near my German, but I speak English and German and French. And I've I've studied and dabbled with uh, a few others, but... It's so language, history, music is um, another course of study I've been through. So I've been to, I've been to, I kind of jokingly say to too much schooling, but it's it's made me who I am, and uh, I'm I am definitely a lifelong learner. Okay, okay, and Summer, a little about you, and then yeah, if you would carry on with uh, how you discovered the books. Sure, um, I am the younger of the two of us. I also speak uh, two and a half languages. I speak English. <laughs> what's your, what's your a, half? A little bit of German. That's my half. And oh. then I'm also fluent in sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Um, my background scholastically, if you could call it that, was theater. I was a theater major. I did musical theater. But I haven't really done that as a profession. So I've pretty much toiled around and, and worked my way up from like reception jobs to office admins to from job to job. So I just kind of, I kind of lead that nomadic life that actors usually have only it's not in an acting field. But I did study theater when I in New York, I went to a performing arts academy out there, which is actually where I discovered the books. I used to have to ride the subway because I lived in Brooklyn and my school was on the Upper West Side. So I was on the subway probably 45 minutes each way every day. So I would just pick up paperbacks in the grocery aisles from the grocery store. It was like my thing that I would do. So I had something to do while I had these long rides. And on one of these grocery trips, I happened upon Drums of Autumn, which looked really hefty, which was a good sign because I like long books. And also it had sort of a tartan picnic scene kind of on the front of it. So I thought, well, I kind of like Scottish stuff too. So this, this is right up my alley. And I started reading it. And I realized pretty quickly that I was missing something. And what I was missing was the first three books of the series. 
So uh, the good thing about Diana Gabaldon is that she writes in a way that you kind of get filled in on the story as you read it. So I didn't feel like I was completely at a loss for what happened, but I could tell there was a lot of story that I wasn't getting. So as soon as I finished that, uh, I immediately went out and bought the other the other three books uh, that had come out before. So and starting then, it was just I mean, you hate to say it's all downhill from there, but it kind of was. It just started a steamroll effect and, and, and a love for Diana Gabaldon. And so you introduced your sister to the books, and obviously you're both Outlander fans. How does that evolve into a podcast? And you, you've answered a part of my next question, because my next question was going to be, do either of you have any uh, broadcasting experience? I come from a radio television background, and sitting in front of a microphone and talking to an audience that you can't see is very much what we did uh, in my day and what we still do, I guess, in radio. You're talking into a microphone or a camera to people you really can't see and can't relate one-to-one on. So I know you said you have some theater background, but how did you evolve from being fans of the books to saying, suddenly, we're going to be the host of the Outlander podcast? <laughs> that, well, the, honestly, when the show was announced in June of 2013, there were already, for many years, there have been, uh, fans have been around since the books came out, and there have been fan sites, fan websites, blogs, etc. Right. For many years before we ever uh, started the podcast, or even thought to do the podcast. And so when the series was announced that it was going to be produced on Stars. Of course, this fewer, this the longtime book fans, right? Because at that point, that's all you have is book fans, are clamoring for. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that you know this is many people's dream come true. I can't believe it's going to happen, and there is so much excitement because it pretty much started off boom with Jamie being cast after the initial announcement in June. Then in July, July fifth, there was like a slip, and then he was announced, but not it was like on accident. But then he it was officially announced on July 9th. and from that point, it just snowballed and it grew and grew and grew in excitement. And people were flocking to Twitter especially yes. because because it's so quick and, and back and forth. And uh, Sam was on Twitter and Diana was on Twitter. And, and just some of the people with production were on Twitter. And it was where people kind of went to talk real time or uh, the last up, most up-to-date news or at least chatter, if you will. And so with this growing excitement... I just thought, oh my gosh, this is like, this is our favorite series. We don't have to be involved in any way in anything, but if we want to do something, this is the time to start before there's a show as it's in development and as people are excited about something. So not that the excitement's gone down at all. (laughs) It's just grown. It's kind (laughs) of gone insane, which is great. So I thought, well, and this is all in my mind. I never said anything to Summer until I had kind of thought it a little out a little bit more thoroughly. My first thought was, okay, blog or, you know, what is the possibility? There, there's blogs, there's you know, video blogs. Um, what do I want to do? What do we want to do? Because I definitely did not want to do it together uh, alone. I did not want to be the only person doing this because it's a lot of responsibility, with especially with no experience. So I thought, well, I am in love with podcasts. I have been listening to podcasts since 08. And I thought, you know what, there's Diana has a podcast, but it was a very short running. And it was, it was about um, her process and about the books, 
which is completely, you know, different than what we would be able to do because obviously we're not Diana. But I'm like, there's no fan podcast yet. So I have that little kernel in my mind and I kind of almost in fear and trepidation approached my sister and I said, um, I have an idea. I don't know if it's good or bad or ugly or scary. It's definitely scary. But what do you think about doing something? That is not like anyone else because if we're going to do it and put the time and energy, we want to be original or unique. Sure, of course. And and I said, well, what about a podcast? And long story short, she said, sure. And we just started with hoping that if you know if nothing else, our parents will listen and and they'll oh be and they'll say. <laughs> that being said, now it's like we're the people we don't want them to listen. Exactly, like, no, anyone but them. <laughs> um, they started listening, but after like episode two or three, I think they they just. Because we quickly became weekly, and um, that's it's a lot to keep up with if it's not something like that's an, an, a passion or an obsession of yours. So anyway, that's kind of how it started as uh, something wanting to be part of the fandom a little bit more, not not to be visible, but to be part of something that was growing. And I mean, our aim wasn't to be high or higher profile or anything. It was just to have a unique voice, maybe, or a unique. Thing, a unique entity of something that didn't quite exist yet. And now there are more podcasts and that's great. You know, there, there's room for everything and that's what makes it so exciting. Like you, I, I have a deep passion for Scotland and, and this podcast is, is my expression of that. As you just touched on it, something you do because you have that passion, that excitement and that, and that wanting to not to be special, but to share that passion. You have to give that passion an exactly. outlet. And so I came to the, to Outlander through the announcement of the TV production and through that explosion on Twitter you're talking about. And now I'm just trying to read fast enough to stay ahead <laughs> of the TV production. I have to admit I've fallen behind. <laughs> so what was the reaction to that growing fandom when you launched the podcast? Was it an accepting group? Was there any of this, well, who the heck are they to be doing a podcast show? You know, that is something that I can say that we were I don't want to say wary of, we weren't, but we were cognizant of the fact that even though we, there are fans, people have been fans of the books for much longer than us. We, we realize that, but we also have been fans of the books since the nineties. So we're kind of old school fans. We don't go back to 91. We go back to 97, 99, but still, you know, it's something to say. I've been reading these books for almost 20 years, you know, whatever that's worth. But even though we had been reading them and we're very familiar with them and had been in love with them for so long, we had absolutely no online presence. So we knew coming into this that, yeah, we're fans, but there are millions of other fans. So what makes, you know, you two together more qualified to do something like this? Well, quite frankly, I don't think that anything makes us more qualified. I, I just think, and that was kind of the thing that I approached Summer with. It's like, if this is something we want to do, we need to do it now. And that was what I think made it scary because we didn't have experience in doing this type of thing. And so starting without, and I'm the researcher, this is Ginger's like the planner researcher. It was a little bit daunting and we're still learning as you're saying, you know, we're still learning and we've been doing this almost two years, but it's always exciting to, to connect with more people and learn, you know, the new tech thing. But when we started, I, I don't think there was anything but, maybe surprised that, oh, there's a podcast out there. That's kind of cool. And we've been received pretty darn well. People are extremely welcoming. And I think that's the, the great thing about Outlander fans is that it is a community. It's such, it's a worldwide community and they've been nothing but 
accepting and supportive. And I mean, heck, we met so many uh, friends, their other Outlander fans, and you know, hopefully they listen to our show as well. But we've met so many people by going to different gatherings. And you know, even we were in Scotland this past May, and we met so many people that were other fans. So we've had we had it's a worldwide community that brings so many people together. And so there really hasn't been this, it, it hasn't been anything but accepting. And how was it jumping into the world of podcasting? Because as I say, I have a radio television broadcasting background and I had done some minimalist podcasting for a couple of other organizations. They were simply podcasts of me reading the news, which is like internet radio, not really podcasting as I see it. So this is kind of still new to me as well. But what was it like to to jump into that world where obviously neither of you had any experience? How frightening was it? How energizing was it? And where did you go to start learning what it was that you wanted to do to share that passion you had? Well, it was actually, it was kind of funny because when we started out, we oh, were like, right. <laughs> we were like, we're just, okay, well, the, we'll just kind of plot it out what we're going to do our episodes about. We got, we got through that way just great with about four episodes. And then all of a sudden we were like, well, now what? The news is <laughs> like the, there's not, the news wasn't fast and furious. So we didn't have a lot of announcements and we didn't have, there's only so many times you can tell basically your origin story without it getting boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we finally were just like, we need to have some original content here. We need something we can do to pass the time because we had no idea when they were going to start airing the show. We found out later that it was going to be over a year. From when we aired our first episode was when they actually started airing the the show on Stars. So we had a year to fill. And I was like, well, I don't know what else we're going to do. Let's do a read along. So we started doing a chapter by chapter, basically like a book club, uh, where we started, you know, breaking the book down and talking about that. And that really served us well. It gave us plenty to do, plenty to talk about. Coming into this, Ginger had more experience with audio editing and the mechanics of actually putting the show together. All I really bring to this table is kind of an attitude and some snark and she did, <laughs> and, and knowledge of the book. I do, but she, God bless her. She does a lot of, of the hands-on research and, and the actual creation of the show, which, you know, to my credit, I did try once to do editing and she went back and edited after me. So I said, <laughs> I said I'm a little bit um, <laughs> anal retentive when it comes to that. So I said, you know, I spent two hours editing that. I'm going to let you do it so that we're not both spending two hours editing that. So. Well, then I hope she doesn't listen to my show too closely. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it's, I think what Summer is referring to is for um, one of my many jobs that I've had, I had to do, I have had to um, edit audio for a learning product. And when it was always spoken, like spoken for instruction and it has to be clear and clean. And so that when the learner is watching the presentation and hearing the narrator, it doesn't distract them and it only supports the learning rather than distracting them away from it. So any ums and ahs and, and blips and things, you become really familiar with it visually in the audio recording. And uh, so I'm very, I, I've done it for years now. And so I am very critical of, I wouldn't say of others, I'm critical of our work. Yeah, I think you make a good point because your podcast is an audio podcast as mine is. And without video to distract Mm. In a sense, the viewer or the listener, 
an audio only podcast does, I, I agree with you, have to be that much cleaner because it has to be an enjoyable listening experience. If it's not, then people are not going to listen. And that does mean sometimes editing out the ums and the ahs, or when you're talking to the folks in Scotland, the M's. And yes, the M's. Yeah. And, and, and yet. <laughs> now, those you have to leave in. Yeah, I was just about to say, there are, I do edit some of those out. And yet, to me, the M's are part of the pacing. It's a part of the character of the Scott language. And so I don't want to take all of those out. Well, and. And that's true. You know, I have to, and I'm slowly, slowly learning this because we started our second podcast now for a different book series, a trilogy. And we've only done a few episodes, but we'll be getting to that more regularly in a few months, most likely. But I've, I've learned that we both have full-time jobs and we do the Outlander podcast weekly. It's typically on Sundays or by Sunday evening, even if it's really late, we get it up by Sundays. Unless something like Comic-Con happens, then... Mm-hmm. We make, we make no promises, <laughs> and then it gets out like the Tuesday. Um, so things happen, but it's typically every week. And then when the show is on during season 1A and 1B, before and after the hiatus, because the show was on Saturday, we wanted to get our show up on Saturday as well as soon as we, as soon as we could after the airing. So that is pretty much the only time we do Saturdays. Otherwise, it's Sundays and then maybe a little bit later. So having full-time jobs, having a weekly show, and then a day that we try to get it out on, there is some flexibility in that that we just do. Let alone adding on a second podcast, I, Ginger, have had to learn to kind of not take a back seat, but you know, you have to let a little bit more go. You, you have to be – I'm by no means a perfectionist, and Summer's by no means a perfectionist. But I know. But when it comes, <laughs> but when it comes to the editing, and you know, you can you can really really get lost in those details. So yeah. it's important to just okay do my best and say okay you know what I've given it a listen and I I don't have time to go through twice. So the rule I think is something like an hour of audio takes one point between one point five and two times minimum of the amount of time of the length of the audio to edit. Right. So it's a. It's a, yeah. So if you've got a show that's got different things and different, you know, you have still to record the intro outro or put in a bumper or whatever you're doing, that's your afternoon or evening. Yeah. I, and then I have the element where because of my job, I travel a great deal during certain parts of the year. And coming up, as a matter of fact, in September and October, I'm on the road almost nine or 10 weeks in a row. And so I'm busy already now loading up on interviews that I can then edit as I have time and have, as we used to say in the TV business, shows in the can so that it's ready to go. And all I have to do is plug it in and release it when the time comes, because I can't do the work on the road with the same audio quality because of studio conditions, et cetera, that I can do when I'm at home in my studio. And so... Yeah, it's it's an awful lot of work, and when you're doing it because it's your passion, you know, people say, "What the heck are you doing? <laughs> you know, why are you doing that?" I didn't know you had taken on a second show. That's that's incredible. I, I can't yeah. imagine doing that. One is keeping me more than busy enough. I want to ask this question because I, I it just absolutely I love it. I'm a writer by trade too, and your opening line, where the men are kilted, the women are winsome, and the whiskey is neat. Is that Diana's writing or is that one of your writing? That was actually mine. Uh, well done. Well done. <laughs> well, I have, I have my moments. <laughs> <That> one, <laughs> we, were, 
we were trying to come up with a tagline and that wasn't too hokey. That was yeah, and I was like, and it I wasn't knew, about Jamie. No, and I and I <laughs> knew we wanted the men kilted, and we wanted the whiskey to be neat. Uh, so we just needed, and I believe in you know the the power and not the power, but the the threes, the rhythm of three, the rhythm yeah. of three. Right, so I'm yes. like, I need one more three thing. We already mentioned men, and I think the the only one we toiled with for a few for minutes women. was the women. I was like, <laughs> what do we want the women to be? I don't know. We went, I tried willful, and I was like, no. <laughs> so, and then I finally sex was sells. like. Sex sells. Sex sells. We all know that. <laughs> Just so. a little, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have to tell you, as a, as a new male listener to your podcast, I think that was the perfect choice. I, you know, I understand you want the men kilted, and, and we men like the women winsome. So that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> you also use... The opening disclaimer that you're not associated, the podcast is not associated with the Stars production or with Diana Gavaldon. But clearly, maybe you don't want to admit this, but I, I have to believe that clearly now, two years into this, and you know, having kept up with your uh, recent adventures uh, in Scotland and also at Comic-Con in San Diego, you clearly are no longer just in the ranks of the ordinary rank-and-file fan. You, you have achieved, I believe a certain element of celebrity. How do you see that? And and have you gained a certain insider access that maybe you didn't have before you started the podcast? Well, that's, first of all, very kind. Thank you. It's very flattering. <laughs> we, <laughs> Sorry, it's a long sentence. I'm trying to think of what to say. There's um, an edit I have to make. <laughs> a, yeah, exactly. See, I'm giving you the opportunity to to practice your editing. Skills. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're so welcome. Okay, I'll probably answer the last point first, and that is that um, we are we're very. Uh, hmm. <laughs> I'm not helping at all. We don't have okay. We do not have or receive insider information from stars or any of production. We have been very fortunate, however, in instances like getting interviews and that kind of thing. Um, we do typically go through stars and as is their preferred uh, method of being granted an interview, you put out your request or, for example, our, the first time we interviewed Bear McCreary, that was... We didn't think to ourselves, okay, the first half of the soundtrack is coming out. Let's interview him. I mean, I th I'm sure that was in the back of our minds, but we didn't go looking for his publicist's contact information to reach out just for that one for that one uh, reason. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's the composer. We would talk to him any day of the week, but it just so happened that when we reached out and we were we got the reply that, yes, how about this day at this time? You're like, okay, you, you don't say no unless, you know, you hope for another opportunity. But um, we did everything we could to make that one, the time work. And so I definitely wouldn't say we have insider um, information or anything, but we have been fortunate in, um, in getting interviews that we have been able to do. And that's sometimes timing that is, uh, you know, reaching out to the, through the channels that are there and, um, or like this most recent, <laughs> this, uh, San Diego comic-con experience or having a cousin who's in the right place at the right time. <laughs> Cause our cousin, um, was in a restaurant 
he works at a restaurant on Coronado and Bear McCreary just happened to be there. And our cousin knows about our podcast and he started talking us up and through a series of very interesting text messages from my cousin, our cousin, uh, we ended up interviewing Bear on the Saturday. So we, that was completely unplanned, um, but, a, but, a, but an amazing, amazing uh, few days week there in San Diego. I also wouldn't say that we are any type of celebrity. We are fans and fans first. And I guess one thing you could say that would be fair is that perhaps we're slightly higher profile fans only in that, you know, we kind of put ourselves out there and like other blogs and websites and podcasts do as well. You know, people know about some of the larger fan outlets or larger fan sites. So I think that's fair. But I, I don't know that I, I don't even know that I feel comfortable with that word because, you know, we're, we're not part of production. We're, we're fans doing our thing and we hope people like it and we hope to do it as long as there's a show. Okay. I'd say that we're, we're fans who pretend that we're press. <laughs> hey now okay. hold on a second i will say one thing because again it doesn't make anyone more deserving or less deserving but as you said yourself glenn it's a lot of work on top of a full-time job right it's a lot of work to put something like this together and we do it for the love of it of course but i will say that we're not access hollywood but we are a form of media. I mean, we're, sure. we're audio. Media. Oh, oh, absolutely. So, um, so I'm just speaking to someone here, like, but I get what she's saying. We kind of, we kind of pretend to be pressed. So it's, it's fun to do the, the, um, it's a blast to do the round tables and it's fun to do the, the red or tartan carpets. Um, don't get us wrong. It's a lot of fun. And we're very fortunate that they allow fan sites by no means are we the only ones. Our friend, Sarah from Outlander TV news and, um, we were at least at the round table in Comic-Con. We were only one person apart from each other. So we were sitting there and there are other kind of, you know, sites that are maybe not fan sites, but internet entertainment sites that are not like Access Hollywood or Entertainment Weekly. So the cool thing about Comic-Con and other cons is that they do give the alternative press, if you will, a little more exposure or opportunity. And, and I, I have to agree with you because you know I'm calling and, and scheduling interviews and, and guests like yourselves for my show now. And, and it's partly because of my broadcasting background. I know the routine of going through the publicist or the press office or the media connections office. You have to go through the process. You don't just pick up the phone and try to call them personally, unless you already have that access in those channels. Was there a moment though, when you launched the podcast early on, as you say, you were just fans and you knew that it had been discovered by Bear or Diana or anyone else in the production, the stars, when suddenly you realized that they knew what you were doing and hopefully appreciated it. And what it, it, what was that moment and, and how did that make you feel? I would say that for the most part, the moment when they realize we exist is when we try to get interviews with them. Still, after two years? Oh, nice. Well, because, I mean, we interviewed Diana the first year we were, we were um, airing and you know, we sent out, we had kind of like, not a form letter per se, but we did have a, like a format of, of our introduction letters that we would send when we were trying to get interviews that were, were emails, excuse me, uh, where we would say, you know, hi, this is who we are. This is what we do. If you could possibly set some time aside for us, we would love to, to interview you and talk to you about blah, blah, blah. Um, and then if, if they said yes, then they would definitely, you know, would know more about us by the time we were done with the interview. But even if they, I mean, I don't think we've had anybody say flat out no. 
Have we? Like, nobody's, okay, maybe they haven't responded, but they've never said no. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't even know that we haven't gotten a non, oh, I swear, yeah, okay. But the the only time that I that I was actually aware, I mean, other than, you know, when we've actually had interactions with stars and, and some Sony people when we're actually at events, uh, when we were doing the tartan carpet for the premiere oh, and Sam and Katrina came up to us to our little where we were standing on the carpet and we're like, hi, we're, we're Ginger and Summer with the Outlander podcast. And Kate goes, oh, I've heard about you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I was terrified. I was a little afraid about that. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, oh, only good things. So I don't think that we have any kind of idea on what level they know about us. If they've just heard about us, seen us on Twitter, um, most of them don't always interact with us. I mean, we do have some interaction from stars um, on Twitter. Twitter is where we spend, I think, most of our, our time. We do have a Facebook page uh, that we have some followers we're, on. Yeah, we're on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But I think, again, as we said, you know, since this whole thing, the Outlander, not the fandom, but the insurgence and the craziness that is the Outlander fan community online, I think... There were all kinds of sites already there. Diana's been on CompuServe since the 80s. but Gosh, I haven't this, heard that term in, this, since the 80s, yeah. I think. But this, yeah. but this whole thing with this phenomenon, right? This It was born on Twitter. And it's because that's what moves fastest. For, for good, bad, whatever it is, that's where it's fastest. So I think that's why uh, we're most active there. You touched on that. You touched on it in one of the episodes I was listening to. One of you made the comment that you thought Twitter owed um, stars some money <laughs> because of oh, the number of people that, that came. <laughs> the snarky that, one. Yeah, uh, that would be. Yeah. yeah. See, See, you're learning. I am learning. <laughs> I am learning. Well, what was so crazy about that is that you have to understand this was a, an influx of a very specific demographic. Like these were probably, you know, middle-aged women who all read the books in the, in the early 90s and had been following the fandom for years and years and years. A lot of these women had never even heard of Twitter. So I would say that when Diana got really active on Twitter and then everyone else, all of the, the Outlander stars started and everything moved over to Twitter, there must have been an influx of, a, of all of the fans who moved over to Twitter. I mean, they must have had at least 30 or 40,000 in a few days that moved over specifically for that. Yeah. I mean, these were people that were barely online. Like they had the Ladies of Lollybrock that was uh, a website, more of a bulletin board kind of a website. It was a message board. A yeah. message board. Yeah. That was around for like decades, but, or, or a, a decade. A decade or, or so. a decade. But none of them, I think, had even heard of Twitter until everyone well, realized that there was a lot of easily accessed information there. Well, I think a lot of people had maybe heard about it, but weren't moved to go check something out. Every once in a while, I'll still today read a tweet that says, this is my first tweet, or I came to Twitter just for Outlander. And that's like a year after the show's, almost a year after the show premiered, and two years after, more than two years now, after it was announced that it would be produced. So people are still are still finding, I think they at least know of Twitter, even if they're not on it. But yeah, definitely there was a huge uh, growth among, probably among Twitter users who came specifically for Outlander. And I think it's still happening. That was leading into my next question, because I was going to ask your impressions of this explosion of all things Outlander. As, as we've discussed, there were books, there were blogs, there were websites, there were fan sites, um, those kinds of things. And, and there were even, I think, over in Scotland, there were there was perhaps a, a handful, a few Outlander tours, if you will. But with the release of the television show, 
that has just absolutely exploded. Things like your podcast that didn't exist before now does. Um, now, I know you were just over in Scotland doing, uh, working with Mary's Meanders, I believe, doing one of their Outlander tour operations. And, and by the way, on your comment, there are a few guys that have come to Twitter, too. We're not all middle-aged yes, women, okay? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, well, what I will say when I make that statement is that I would say that there's a lot more gentlemen that follow the show than read the books. So I would say that a majority of the fan base prior to the show beginning was female. No, a majority of us. You're absolutely correct. And and that's fair. I just was taking a a, a little pot shot at you there. (laughs) Uh, That's okay. Keep keep going. I like that. (laughs) Well, see, I'm learning a little snarkiness from you. So. Um, yes, you are. So maybe you shouldn't do that because then it's two against one. <laughs> well, I think she. I think she could handle it. Oh, I can take it. Um, no, I mean me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I okay. have to go with the Stark every day. What are you talking about? I see. Are you at all surprised at the size of the explosion of all things Outlander, not just online, but the industry, the the following of the program, the tours in Scotland, the whole, you know, where's Jamie and, and everybody taking the, the selfies with Jamie pics, all, you know, all over the world. Does any of that surprise you or did you expect that when you saw this starting to build? I don't know that I would say that I'm I was surprised. Honestly, I've been wondering where all these people were for the last like 20 years because, you know, our, we've loved the books that much that, you know, when we when we find people who haven't read them, it was like, how have you not read these books? These books have been around for so long. So, you know, we've been living with these characters for so long that it was for us. It was just seemed like it was mostly a matter of time. Um and once they announced it and they announced that Ron Moore was helming it and they were going to be filming in Scotland and and it was going to be kind of overseen by Diana Gabaldon. She was, you know, a consultant for the scripts. I mean, it was just all of the stars were aligning to make an amazing show. We just knew that it, if it got greenlit and taken care of, it was going to be awesome. And I don't know how anyone could not like it. It's got literally everything in it for anyone. It's got romance, action, kilts. I mean... And I think that I think Americans kind of have a romance affair with kilts anyway. I mean, yeah. if you've yeah. ever been to a Scottish Games, yes. everyone is, it uses that excuse to be Scottish for a day, even if they're not. I have just released my sixth episode. So I went back doing some research and listened to your sixth episode. So how do you see, how do you believe your podcast has changed, evolved, and or matured in the two years now that you've been doing this? I think we definitely have better sound equipment. <laughs> um, I think going into we have a better idea of what we're doing. I mean, every episode is still, you know, new and exciting because it's nothing is ever the same. It's not like we sit down and say, OK, we're going to do A, B and C and that's all we're going to do. Even it's like having a conversation in general. It's like you may have your plot points of what you think is going to happen. But then, you know, life steps in and I say something snarky and get us off topic. And and then, you know, we get tangenty for a while. But I, I think that it's remained exciting for us to do or else we wouldn't keep doing it. And I cackle every time we start the beginning of the, of the intro for the episode when Ginger says, <laughs> welcome to episode. And then she says like episode 104. <laughs> and I just laugh because I'm like, how have we done? How did we get episodes? to a hundred? <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's, it's very weird. If you, if we stop and think about it too much, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. You know, I don't know what, oh, Okay. How do I think we've changed or or our the scope or our outlook? We still have fun, like Summer said, but I think because of now at least the people we we've been 
fortunate to interview the experiences we've been able to have um, as fans or as fan press, however you want to put it. We are, I think, more mindful now about, I think more mindful now about, about maybe connecting, connecting some more because we still have fun. We still enjoy it. We still want people to listen and, and obviously enjoy and hopefully engage. But when you first start, the biggest difference is probably that they're for, and we don't, you know, know, like really perfectly well, so granular, like I can't tell you how many exact number of listeners we have, but I know when we started, we had like two. <laughs> it was our parents. So yeah. obviously we've grown a little bit. But when you're <laughs> when you're recording something and you're there, you're having fun, you're like, okay, well, you know, my mom will be listening or my dad and maybe a friend who takes pity. Who knows? It's it was never a joke, but it was, I think, a little more light, as in we didn't feel as much pressure, if you will. Not that we feel a ton now, but it, I think we... There's a responsibility, just, I think. Maybe that's think the word so. you're looking for. I think so. There is, and there was also a sense of uh, having to... We were When we started the read-alongs, we'd be like, oh, we'll get listener participation. And it was like begging, mm-hmm. begging well, for people yeah. to participate. A, and yeah. like now, we have people that are like, oh, I'd love to participate. Let me, I'll send in my comments and this, that, and the other. And it was, it's... It's definitely less of a struggle in that area that we get a lot more interaction with people now than we did. In the that's beginning. okay. That's true. So in the same vein, we also, we still obviously have to, for the most part, if it's someone involved with production or some like a big name or something, obviously we still have to uh, request that interview. So that's not changed. I think we've gotten, gained more confidence because of not just the number of episodes we've done, how lo- how much time has gone by, how long we've been doing this, but also, you know, each time you interview someone, another person from production, another person from production, or whatever, you have a little more confidence in yourself, especially if the interview or the episode is well-received. You're thinking, okay, you know, we didn't do too badly, um, or here are some things, you know, that I, we definitely want to take forward, and here are some things that we can um, improve on. So I think it helps to... We definitely feel a little bit more responsibility, but we also, I think, have a little more confidence as we go forward because of we've accomplished more. So that helps with our with our confidence levels. Kind of us on on the side, which is not so much related to podcasting, but as far as engagement, we've been very uh, lucky since the beginning to have a very good relationship with the audio publishers of the recorded books <laughs> called recorded books of the audiobooks. Namely, because we're, we are such fans of Davina Porter, who is the narrator. And we've been very fortunate to interview her twice. And speaking with her um, kind of helped. We used that since we got an interview with her. We used that. We, we, we told the audio publisher that we were going to be speaking with her. And could we work out some kind of giveaway? Is there something that you know they'd be willing to give us or or we could purchase it at a, you know, at a discounted price or, you know, full out if need be, you know, we'll do it once. We've had an amazing time the last two years. We've just for one example, the audio publishers, we do ask because they don't know everything that we're doing. So we do have to reach out to reach out, but they've been very supportive and have sent us a full, like multiple copies of the entire audiobooks on CD, which are 
not cheap. Wow. And we've been able to do giveaways at different points. Um, we did one for Moby. We did one for um, DIA, for Dragonfly and Amber, before we started that read-along. And as far as giveaways and stuff, although it's over and above podcasting, you don't have to do it. But it's another fun way to engage people and to introduce new people to your podcast and encourage them to listen. Sure. One of the bigger changes is that we still contact people and reach out and say, you know, would you be interested in doing X, Y, Z? But we, I think, have been surprised and we continue to be surprised. It still blows me away every time we get an unsolicited email or Facebook message or message on Instagram, private message, people offering us goods that they make with their own hands to say, look, you know, if I could I send you this for a giveaway? And it's just that's something that was unexpected. We're so thankful for anything that that comes our way in that realm as well. I'm pretty sure you weren't blown away by my call for an interview, but I appreciate you giving it to me nonetheless. And I have to tell you, there's one little thing that I'm a little concerned about now. Um, I was looking on your website and catching up on some past episodes, trying to, and doing a little research. And I noticed that you don't always, your podcast is not strictly Outlander. There have been some episodes that were non-Outlander oriented. And I came across this statement that says, it's in the Where to Begin notes from August 2013. And it reads, we are fans of Celtic stuff and all things Scotland. And I've branded my podcast as all things Scottish from bagpipes to whiskey. <laughs> so, ladies, can I, just, can I just say that I hope we will remain uh, certainly uh, podcasting colleagues. Um, hopefully there will be, this may be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Um, and uh, let's not turn into cutthroat um, competitors trying to land the next interview about all things Scottish. Can we agree to do that? Uh-huh, oh, my goodness. No, there's a, the, one, the one thing about Scotland, as you know, and it's whereas your podcast seems to be, it is your love of Scotland and all things Scotland, yes. which includes Outlander. And ours is obviously the Outlander podcast, all th- chatting about all things Outlander which includes Scotland. Scotland. Sure. Exactly. So it's, it's the same from a different angle. And, um, as, as we said, it's there, there's room at the table for everyone. And absolutely. I mean, we hope that you continue for decades to come. I hope that someday I'll be, I'll be kind of cackling when I sit down and say, this is episode, you know, 154 <laughs> or <laughs> whatever it may be. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Indeed. My thanks to my very special and very winsome guest, Ginger and Summer, and for their sharing with us a behind-the-scenes look at their very popular Outlander podcast. For more information, you'll find links to the podcast and various Outlander sites included in the show notes for this episode on our website, underthetartansky.scot. A special thanks to the band Smithfield Fair for the use of their Sky Boat Song, a.k.a. Outlander-themed music. And please remember to use iTunes to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. We have an amazing lineup of guests in the coming weeks. And while on iTunes, if you would rate and review the show, I'd be most grateful. Until next time, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapalev, agus alapa gabra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. Learn more on our website at www.glenelmoyer.com. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. And while you're there, 
check out our online shop where you can buy exclusive Under the Tartan Sky logo apparel and other items. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter where our username is at underscore Tartan Sky. That's the underscore symbol Tartan Sky. And thank you for listening.